The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. If you have a Bible, open up to Psalm chapter 37. Appreciated that Sam read out of the Psalms. Two great Psalms. Turn to Psalm 37 before you get there. Oh, three quick things I wanted to say, further announcements that I thought of. Um, I referred to... Bernadette and Casper. Actually, it's Bernadette and Alistair. I knew that. Their last name is Casperson. So, Casper. Sorry about that. It's been two years since I saw you. So, anyway, sorry for slaughtering your name. Um, then the other thing I thought of was that the Hainas are going to be leaving next week to Thailand, is it? For like 17 days or 16? Yeah, two weeks. So, keep the Hainas in prayer as they go see their new grandbaby. It's going to be exciting. And the other announcement was in Sunday school, the adult Sunday school class, beginning today... We're doing a special series for about 12 weeks on the distinctives of Grace Bible Fellowship. And if you're a regular attender here, you should make that a priority to come because basically it's answering the question, what is Grace Bible Fellowship all all about? What do you stand for? How are you distinct? How are you different than other churches? Or what makes you biblical? And so over the course of 12 weeks, the elders are teaching on these. Actually, there's 20 distinctives trying to do it in 12 weeks. And we kicked it off today on that we are a church that is elder, believes in elder rule or elder shepherding. Very important. It's the foundation of a church. And for those of you who couldn't make it, I just wrote up my Sunday school lesson, and it's going to be out there in the foyer on a table. And if you attend it with any regularity at this church, you should grab one and read through it. It's very important. It's foundational to what our church is all about. Um, and I'll be there again next week, and same thing, have a handout there. But we'd, we'd love to have you in the Sunday school class starting at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, go till about 3.15, try to keep it interactive. Um, so I want to let you know that that was available after the service. Okay, so let's go ahead and open to Psalm 37. But before we do, let me ask, and you've got to be honest, is, has anybody have any, do you have any New Year's resolutions? It's now January 7th. Anybody here have any New Year's resolutions? Okay, I'm the only one raising my hand. Oh, there's a couple honest people. There we go. Okay, good. We've got a few people who have New Year's resolutions as we've kicked, out, kicked off 2007. The next question is, are they anybody that has formal resolutions and you've gone so far as to write these down for 2007? Has anybody done that? Okay, we've got a couple. Two and a half people. Okay, excellent. Well, I just remember growing up as a kid, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I mean, I wasn't taught the Bible growing up, but I did have New Year's resolutions. It was just the thing that you did. Every year it's January, and you think of some New Year's resolutions, and you, you try to do those, and then in February you've blown every single one of them, and then uh, you wait till next year to blow it again. Anyway, but my whole frame of mind and mindset was to improve in certain things for me. Maybe it was becoming a better basketball player, to stop eating chocolate or sugar, that kind of thing was a big deal in our house. Um, But I wasn't pursuing my resolutions with God in my life because I didn't have God in my life. He was not a part of my frame of reference as I was trying to do these resolutions. I was trying to do to improve my life or better my life. So if I wasn't doing it in God's help, that means I was doing it in my own strength. It was just sheer willpower. I was trying to implement change in my life and I came to realize I couldn't do it. I didn't have sufficient willpower to bring significant change in my life in these areas. And so by the time I was in high school, pff, forget New Year's resolutions. Reality sunk in. Can't do it. Can't keep them. It's too hard. And then I became a Christian. And early on in my Christian life, I was in college. Somebody, I don't even remember who it was. Maybe it was a guy who was discipling me. He'd grown up in a Christian home. When I became a believer, he began pouring his life into me, teaching me the scriptures and taught me this principle out of Psalm 37, verse 4. And it was kind of a life verse for him, and he made it a life verse for me. That wasn't his intention, but I took it that way. And so for the entire time I have been a Christian, 
One of my life verses has been Psalm 37, verse 4. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but just let's look at verse 4. This is a psalm written where God is trying to encourage the believer in the Old Testament. This is a believer who uh, has a very difficult life because he lives around evil, wicked, mean people, and he lives in a fallen, sinful world. Life is not easy. So God is a realist in the Scriptures. Life is hard. There are difficult circumstances in life. There are difficult people we have to deal with. So God tries to encourage the believer in this entire psalm, telling the believer why they can take comfort in this life because of their relationship with God. And here's one of the key verses that's just a wonderful promise. Psalm 37, 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, if you just take it de facto black and white, it seems too good to be true, doesn't it? Delight yourself in the Lord. That's the condition. And if you do, God will give you the desires of your heart. Sounds like an open checkbook. Like I said, too good to be true. Now, this can't possibly, that can't possibly be what this verse means. That God is going to give me the desires of my heart as a fact? Wow. Well, actually it is true. And you can take this verse at face value. And so ever since I became a Christian, this became one of my life verses. And so literally and formally at the beginning of every year, just about in January, I take this verse and I commit the, the grid of my life through this verse. And I just lay it before the Lord. God, hear my desires. I want to see you do great things. And I claim your promise of Psalm 37.4. I'm going to try to delight myself in the Lord. And in return, you say that you will give me the desires of my heart. Uh, so that's the way I've tried to live my Christian life. For, ever since I got saved in college. Which I would say is living with purpose. I was living the purpose-driven life before the book was written. Before I even knew a guy was going to write a book like that. That's because for the Christian, the Bible gives you purpose for living. Jesus gives you purpose for living, doesn't he? Every single day of your life. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until I became a Christian that I had reason to live, that I had purpose in life. And then it became a very specific purpose. And my purposes included the details of life, even the minutia of life and the mundane things of life. That A lot of people would say, oh, no, you can't pray about that. You can't have that as a desire. You can't expect God to do that for you. Well, I naively keep thinking that he's going to do that. Uh, oh, I think somebody's getting married. Oh, yeah. That's what that is. I'm sorry. We are having a minor interruption, but that's okay. We'll celebrate with these people. Uh, and, oh, the bell rings and Ann Lundley comes to church. That's what happens. <laughs> She's trying to sneak in. But anyway. So let's... Uh, yeah, they got married. They're walking out. People are throwing rice. That's great. Uh, next week, I'm told that w- with our 11 baptisms, we have the freedom to ring the bell. Well, yeah, so we're going to do that. Ring the bell, ding, ding, ding. I don't know how many times for each kid. But it'll be fun. So go ahead and get your sheet out right now. And I just want to take this promise of Psalm 37.4 and then try to make it very practical, flesh it out with the help of other scriptures so that we can have a vision for delighting ourselves in God and in return... See Him give us the desires of our heart. Because I think that's what Scripture allows us to do in a personal relationship with God as prerequisite. You've got to know Jesus Christ personally in order for this to happen. Because then God is in control of your life and you subject your life to Him. So anyway, I came up with, it looks like, seven principles to consider regarding 
holy resolutions that we're going to entrust to God and see what he does as he works through our life as we live in obedience to him. In light of Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let's go ahead and look at number one. I call this the condition of this promise. What is the condition? Well, the condition is to delight in God. That's what it says. Delight in God. By the way, this is a command. Believers are commanded to delight in God. It is not an option for believers. And that's the condition. We must delight in God. So if you want to get the desires of your heart, there is a stipulation. There is a prerequisite. There is a condition. You have to delight in God and you have to delight in Him the right way. Otherwise, you are not going to get the desires of your heart. What does it mean to delight in God? To delight in God means to enjoy God. By virtue of the fact that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the only way you can actually delight in God and enjoy God. To delight in God means to desire God, to have a longing for God. Look at Psalm 42, since we're in the Psalms. Just a beautiful psalm and picturesque imagery of a saint, of a believer who hungers for God, who desires God. And this is even a famous song, a very well-known song that has been sung by the church. And I love that song. It's a simple song, but it's beautiful. So here the psalmist writes in Psalm 42, verse 1, As the deer pants for the water brooks. So you've got this deer out in the wild. He is thirsting, or she is thirsting. The deer is thirsting, literally thirsty, looking for water. And they finally find the reservoir of water as the deer pants. There's a hunger there. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. Whoever wrote this song, they had an incredible, insatiable hunger for the living God. Do you have that kind of hunger? Do you have that hunger in terms of your relationship with Jesus Christ? Do I? That's the question. Verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? This, this was a priority for this person, desiring God, pursuing God, hungering for God. And the Apostle Peter told Christians they should be that way. He said, long for the pure milk of the word so that you will grow as a Christian. 1 Peter 2.2 2. Desire the pure milk of the word. What's the pure milk of the word? Biblical teaching, biblical truth, the words of Jesus. The Apostle Peter said, if you want to grow as a Christian, you need to intake and have an insatiable, unsatisfying hunger for biblical truth. Do you hunger the Bible? Do you desire biblical truth? Well, you should. I should. Or are you dry and kind of stagnant and you haven't read the Bible in a while and actually you haven't really had a desire? I think all Christians go through those phases. But if you find yourself ever in a point where you are not hungering and desiring the pure milk of the Word, it's very simple. All you got to do is pray to God, God, you need to create that hunger in me again. I have become dry and cold and hardened and it is hard for me and I am discouraged. I don't have an inherent hunger for your Word, Lord, and I know I should. God, help me. You know what? God will answer that prayer. I guarantee you He'll answer that prayer through the Holy Spirit. He will create that hunger for you, for God's Word, to study the Word, to read the Word, to be obedient to the Word, to let Christ dwell in your mind and through your thoughts, through the truth of His Word. So that is desiring God, but that's delighting in God. Delighting in God is desiring after God. Jesus said there was a blessing for those kind of people in Matthew 5, 6, didn't He? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That means hunger for the things of God. Hunger for the truth of God. Hunger for God Himself as a person. Hunger for Jesus Christ and intimacy with Him. That's delighting in God. What else does it mean to be delighting in God? It means to be satisfied in God. To be content in your relationship with God. That's what 
Paul said in Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, he's talking to rich people. Okay, rich people, God's blessed you, man. He's given you all kinds of money. There are rich Christians. God has blessed them incredibly. And he warns them. Don't trust in your riches because they are temporal. Trust in God. Consider your riches just an added bonus of a blessing. Then he talks to those who aren't so rich and says, be content. You're not as rich as that Christian, but don't be jealous of that Christian. Be content with what God has given you, Christian. What has he given you? He's given you eternal resources. He's given you salvation, forgiveness of sin, the, the guarantee of going to heaven to be with him for all eternity, a resurrection body, answered prayer, the Bible. So every Christian has something to be thankful for and also content in this life despite the hardships in life, despite the lack of material things in our life. Be content, be satisfied, be satisfied in your relationship with Christ. Another psalm, Psalm 119, verse 57, the psalmist said this about God. God, you are my portion. The psalmist was satisfied with their relationship with God. God, you are my portion. You are what has been given to me to feast upon and to be satisfied in this life. So that's delighting in God, enjoying God, desiring God, being satisfied in God, being content in God. Also delighting in God means to have joy in Christ. Who should be the most joyful, happiest people on planet Earth? It should be Christians, shouldn't it? Really, it should. I mean, I think about it. I look at the first 19 years of my life where I wasn't a Christian. I didn't know God, and, and I know it now, and I knew it then. I did not have joy, deep-seated joy in my life. I did not have ultimate purpose in life. And the older I got, the more frustrated I got because I knew I didn't have purpose in life. I didn't have direction. I didn't have resources. So I think about when I first got saved, one of the uh, most vivid memories I have of becoming a Christian was this unexplainable, inexpressible, supernatural joy that I had for the first time in my life. Couldn't even explain it. I've got this joy in my heart. The time I didn't know that when I became a Christian, it was the Holy Spirit who began to live in me and kept imparting newfound joy in my life for the first time. And that's where my joy was. And that's true of every Christian, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how old you are. There is always the ability to have joy in the Lord, have joy in your relationship with Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Philippians 4, that is a command in the book of Philippians. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. That's what the Apostle Paul told us. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Isn't that a song? I'm going to start singing here in a second. But anyway, another little ditty reminding us of scriptural truth. Rejoice in the Lord. Have joy in Christ. Christians should be the most joyful, satisfied, fulfilled people on planet Earth. Christians run around looking humdrum all the time, miserable all the time. That should not be. Yeah, are there problems and hardships? Absolutely. But even in the hardships, God promises a supernatural peace and joy that he can give us even in the midst of the most difficult things going on in life. And there are times and periods of sorrow and mourning. But over the course of your whole life, there's always cause to rejoice in Christ because He is good. To delight in God also means to make God the priority in all things. Is God the priority in your life right now? Is He number one? Is He your number one ambition? Are you pursuing Him and your relationship with Him first and foremost over everything else in your life? Well, that's what we're supposed to do. Look down there on your handout. I wrote out the verse there, Matthew six, thirty-three. <clears throat> Jesus is talking to the multitudes, and he's talking to them and trying to encourage them so that they aren't anxious because they're worrying about the basic things in life. They're worrying about their jobs, making enough money, where they're going to live, how they're going to pay the bills. Even some of them were so poor, how they're going to get enough food to eat. Thousands of people there. And Jesus is telling them. And his conclusion to all of this 
is you don't need to be worrying about all that stuff. You don't need to worry about the basic mundane things in life if you get your priorities right. And here was the priority that he summed it all up with. Seek first God's kingdom. Seek first God's rule. His rule in your life. His rule in your heart. Make Him the priority. Seek Him first. He's the most important. You're not the most important. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes on God. That's what it means to seek His kingdom. This is a command. This is not an option for Christians. And His righteousness. His goodness. His characteristics. His attributes. His grace that's available. His resources. You do that and you make God the priority, then the promise is from Jesus that all these things that I've been talking about, food, clothing, shelter, the mundane things that people get anxious about, if you get your priorities right, then those things, says Matthew 6, will be added to you. God's going to give you those things. God will give you the basics of life if you focus on the right thing and focus on the right priorities. And that is God and His kingdom and His righteousness. It's a great promise. So it goes back to that truth. Make God the priority in all things in every area of your life. By the way, uh, whatever business you have right now, if you're a business owner, is God the priority in your business? Or is it the bottom line? Or is it your employees? Or is it your goals and aspirations? Or is it what you want to accomplish? Or your reputation? Or is God the priority in your business? Or maybe you're just an employee. Is God the priority in your job, in your marriage, in your home, in your relationships? If you're single, if you're a child, if you're in seventh grade, is God the priority at school? Are your friends and what they think a priority? Or is it what God wants that's the priority if you're in high school or college? That's what it means. Make God the priority. Seek Him first. And then um, finally, delighting in God means to seek to please God in all things. I want to read um, 2 Corinthians 5.9 because here's what the Apostle Paul says. It's just a great verse. And he just gives us a little window into how he was motivated in life. What motivated the Apostle Paul? What was his burning desire? What was he always trying to do? Because he was highly active, accomplished a lot of great things. He was a doer. But what was what made him tick? What was he trying to accomplish? Why was he doing all this thing? Why was he will, willing to get beat up all the time and put his neck literally on the line for something? Well, it was because he delighted in God. It was based on what he was seeking. He was seeking to please God. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he says, Therefore also we have as our ambition, here's my ambition, people, the Apostle Paul, whether at home or absent. That means whether at home here on earth or absent in heaven. Whether, whether he was on heaven or, I mean, whether he was on earth or in heaven, his ambition was to be pleasing to God, present tense. Paul always wanted to be pleasing to God. Was he perfect in pleasing God? No, he was a sinner. He failed. He had to confess his sins. But he just kept praying and asking God to make that his greatest ambition to please God in every area of his life. That's what it means to delight in God. Go back to Psalm 37. And just in the context of Psalm 37, there are other keys that tell us what it means to delight in God. Uh, very specific commands that parallel the truth in verse 4. What does it mean to delight in God? Look at uh, verse chapter 37, verse 3 of Psalms, where it says, Trust in the Lord. To delight in God is to trust in God. Don't trust in your own ways. Look at verse 5. To delight in the Lord is to commit your way to the Lord. Commit your plans to the Lord. Commit your New Year's resolutions to the Lord. Don't do it without Him. Commit your ways to the Lord if you do. Trust also in Him and He will do it. He will accomplish it. Verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. That's what it means to delight in the Lord. So all these things go together. Verse 8, cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret or worry. It leads only to evil doing. 
That's what it means to delight in the Lord, to shun sin, anger, bad attitudes, resentment, trusting in God. And then look at verse 23. We are commanded to delight in God. And did you know that God delights in believers? Verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord, who is a believer, and God delights in his way. Did you know, when was the last time you thought God delights in you as one of his precious children? Well, he does. Cares for you an awesome promise. So anyway, the condition is to delight in God. Make Him the priority of your life. Then if you do, then He will fulfill these promises. What is the promise? Number two, the promise, He will give you your desires. He will. It is a fact. God will give you the desires of your heart. That's what it says. What do you mean by desires in Psalm 37.4? Well, desires, they speak of the longings of your heart, the aspirations of your heart, the goals you have, the objectives you have. Some of you people are to-do list, aren't you? I've got to do this and this and this and I want to do this and this and this and I want to do that and that and that and I want to have this and this and this. That's what I'm talking about. Those are your desires, your aspirations, your goals, your objectives, even your prayers, your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions, your resolutions. These are the desires of a person's heart. Well, can we have bad, selfish, sinful desires in our heart? Ding! Absolutely. Constantly, all the time. I know I do. A lot of my desires are self-centered. They're selfish. They're oriented towards me. Gimme, gimme, gimme what I want. Me, myself, and I. That's why there's a condition. Delight yourself in the Lord. Seek the Lord. Pursue Him. Please the Lord. And if you do that, then you know what God's going to do? He's going to change, refine, and even remove some of the desires of your heart and of my heart. Thank God that He does. Thank Him that He does. That He's willing to do that. But we've got to be willing to subject our desires to Him first. And have him scrutinize and test the desires of our heart. Now, here's other scriptural promises, even from the New Testament, that go along with this great truth that God will give you the desires of a heart. And I just want to read these. They're, they're awesome. Proverbs 16.3, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. A fact. Wow. Matthew 6.33, read that one. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He's going to pay your rent for you. Guaranteed. If you're in His will, Mark eleven twenty four. Even when you're not in His will, He pays your rent for you. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, this is a hard one to believe, but it's amazing. Jesus said it, so I believe it. That settles it for me. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say to you, all things, all it says, all things in my translation, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. Wow. John fourteen thirteen through fourteen. Similar. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 1 John five fourteen and 15. John says this to Christians. This is the confidence we have before Him. We have confidence when we, when we go to God in prayer. Did you know that? Do you have a confident prayer life? Or are you kind of sheepish in your prayers as you talk to God? and A little hesitant and reticent. And, oh, I don't want to tell God that. He might get mad at me. He might not like that desire or recall. I don't, I don't think he could do I don't deserve that one. Is that your prayer life? Well, John says we need to be confident when we pray to God. This is the confidence that we have before God. That if we ask anything, my translation says anything. I don't know about your translation. That's amazing. If we ask anything according to his will, ooh, there's the stipulation and condition. That's what refines our desires. I could ask for all kinds. i got all kinds of desires that are not according to God's will. I'm not going to get those. Or at least I hope I don't, because if I do get them, it's going to mess up my life. I wanted to marry Janelle when I was in third grade. 
I did. Desire of my heart. Man, I'm glad I didn't get that desire of my heart. She wasn't for me. God refined and spared me of that desire. I'm sure she's a nice girl. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. What if it's not according to His will? Well, then He doesn't hear us. Or He says no. God answers every prayer. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's wait. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked from Him. So there's confidence in prayer when we ask regarding the desires of our heart. And then uh, Matthew 6.10, Jesus said when you pray, one of the things you pray is, Thy will be done. God, Your will be done as it is here on earth as it is in heaven. God, do Your will in my life here on earth. That's a desire of the heart. But pretty much all of these verses have stipulations or conditions. And the stipulations and the conditions to see the desires of our heart fulfilled are always in concert with the will of God. It's always in concert with the will of God. Even when Jesus said in John 14, notice what He said, whatever you ask in My name, not whatever you ask you're going to get, whatever you ask in My name, whatever is consistent with the person of Jesus Christ, whatever is consistent with what Jesus wants, whatever is consistent with what Jesus said in the New Testament. That narrows things down, doesn't it? That refines things. That purges things. That clarifies the will of God for us. So it's not whatever you want. Whatever you want in my name, then I will do it. If I don't want it, I'm not going to do it. If it's selfish, I'm not going to do it. If it's sinful, I'm not going to answer that prayer. And if you ask anything according to His will, there it is again. If it's God's will, God hears us. Well, how do you know what the will of God is? How does a Christian know the will of God? Well, you read the Bible. Because the will of God has been expressly, clearly written in the Bible. As a matter of fact, there's a phrase that is repeated numerous times in the New Testament. This is the will of God for you. And then it gives you a truth. And then you, well, what is that truth? Because that's the will of God. Things like, in everything, give thanks, Christian, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So what is the will of God? It's to give thanks to God all times and all circumstances. To be a thankful person. This is the will of God for you, that you submit to authority, says Peter. That's the will of God, to submit to the authorities in your life. This is the will of God, your sanctification or your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality, violating the marriage relationship in any context. So if you're violating sexual purity in any context outside the relationship with your spouse, you are not in the will of God at that moment in time. And as a result, your prayers could be skewed, your thinking could be skewed, your desires could be warped. You're off track. Things could be foggy. So that's what I mean by the will of God. That's what Jesus is talking about. The will of God is not a mystery. He has clearly revealed it for the saints. So that's just an awesome truth. God will give you your desires. Now we're going to get real practical here. Uh, these are just suggestions. These are just a model of what I've done over the course of my Christian life. And Debbie and I have done to implement in a practical way Psalm 37, verse 4, and these other promises. Um, number three, reflect on your past desires. What did you desire five years ago and ten years ago and has come to a reality in your life that God has brought to pass, that God has brought to fruition? That's awesome. Maybe you haven't consciously been thinking about that, but we need to reflect and think about desires we had in the past that we, put at the, that we had in our heart or maybe we even prayed about it and God has brought it to pass. You brought it forth. That's awesome. Reflect on your past desire so that you can thank God for it. Uh, in Lamentations, the saint says, Morning by morning, new mercies I see. If you just look around, stop and reflect, and look at what God has done in your life. You're having a lousy day, you're having a lousy week, you're having a lousy year, stop. 
reflect. What good things has God accomplished in your life? Morning by morning, every single day, new mercies from God, new blessings from God. Did I say if I just stop and look? And that will encourage your heart. That will give you joy. That will reinforce the fact that God loves you personally. He cares about you. You're one of His children. So reflect on your past desires that He's brought to reality in the present day. It'll encourage your heart in wonderful ways. Number four, articulate your present desires or delineate your present desires or literally write down your present desires that you have. Now, this is what Debbie and I, we've made this an annual tradition. First week of January, we will sequester ourselves. We will get rid of the kids, all four, and we'll send them to the Douglas's house. You can have them for three days. We want to be alone. And we put Psalm 37, verse 4 on the top of a piece of paper. Now it's turning into three and four pieces of paper. And we write that verse out. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And then we just start... And, and literally we write down categories. Marriage, family, employment, finances, friendships, education, ministry, church, uh, friendships, hobbies, things, everything. And then we just start saying, okay, what are your, Cliff, you go first. What are your desires? Because I have more to say and I have more desires and I'm more selfish. And I just start writing them all down. And we just literally fill up a page. Okay, Debbie, what are your desires? She writes them all down. Very specific desires. And the idea is, okay, we're going to start praying about these desires and things we have written down. And then Debbie's got a little manila folder that says, Debbie and Cliff's goals, all the way from 15 years ago. Then on December 31st of the next year, or even January 1st of the next year, we, we look back, what did we write down a year ago and what has God done? That, that is fun. That's a kick. We did it this year on January 1st. So we were by ourselves. We looked at what God did last year. We wrote down a whole bunch of things, desires we have for this year and beyond. Wrote them all down. It's amazing what, what God does. Um, I'm going to give you some specific examples in just a second. Number five, so what we do is we pray through your current desires. So you write all these down, and then that becomes your prayer list, literally, for your personal life. And you commit those to the Lord in prayer. It's not, God, give me all these things. A lot of times it's, God, if this is the wrong selfish desire or not your plan, God, get rid of this desire because I don't want this desire. Show me if this is selfish or show me if this is short-sighted or show me if you don't want this to happen now. Or give us new desires we're not even, excuse me, not even thinking about. So we commit these to prayer and pray for them regularly. Sometimes I'll just do it throughout the year. I'll have a desire that, and I'll just write it down on a piece of paper, stick it in my wallet or my pocket and be praying about that specific desire that God has laid on my heart. So we pray about those. And God will listen. He'll refine. He'll answer your prayers. He'll tell you yes or no. A lot of times there will be a desire. A lot of times I pray specifically, God, this desire keeps coming up. If it's not legitimate, just squelch it, get rid of it. And then it'll persist and even grow stronger. And many times that's a, a legitimate desire from God that he wanted to happen. A lot of times it takes a step of faith to get there. I had a desire to plant a church about nine years ago. That's scary. It is a scary thought. Quit my full-time job, my medical insurance provisions, all that other stuff, and plant a church. From scratch. Ooh, that's a wonderful desire, great idea, biblical model. Oh, I don't know if I can do that because I'm a sissy. So that was about eight years ago. And then, unbelievably, I look back and, wow, I'm part of a church plant that God has done. I think that desire on my heart from eight years ago uh, wasn't just uh, a fly-by-the-seat-of-the-pants kind of thought that I made up. I think literally God put that on my heart. McManus, someday you need to fulfill this mission when you're ready. And he did. So that's an example. Um, let me give you some examples. It was fun. I was just going through the folder of past goals, uh, reading through them pages and, and looking at them and laughing and saying, Oh, praise the Lord, I can't believe that happened. That is awesome. Or, Boy, I requested that. That was stupid. 
And on and on it goes as I was reading through all of these. And so I wanted to share some of them with you because uh, this is from 1995. So this is like 11 years ago we wrote these down. Uh, goals we had, and we started having children at that time. Um, so Cliff's goals. I, there's a whole bunch of them. I'm not going to read all of them because many of them are embarrassing. So, But just by way of illustration. Here's one. This is comical. Cliff, desire, get up at 5.30 every day this year. <laughs> but anyway. Um, <laughs> although when I was at a pastor at another church in a different state, I was working full-time. I wasn't making enough money, so I did get a paper out. Got to answer that paper. I had to get up at 2.30 in the morning, go deliver the paper, and then go preach on Sunday. That was hard. A hard time of my life. Um, pay off credit cards. Praise the Lord. That happened. Not that year, but over time. We're thankful for that. Uh, Debbie's uh, says several things. One of them is building family tradition. Now, 11 years ago, this is when we you know, only had two children. They were young, one and two years old. She wanted to start building family traditions. And I've, I'm thinking we've got a lot of family traditions that we've developed over the last 11 years since this was written that have stayed with us. We do every year. They're fun. They're memorable. They're awesome. Um, not have to work. She put that down because she was a mother of two. Little did she know she might be a mother of four. She didn't want to have to work full time. She tried that with the child, and it was very frustrating. She wanted to be with her child, to raise her child, to nurture her child, to be mommy at home. God honored that prayer. For the most part, every t- all the times we've been parents. Uh, then we had desires of our heart for our own kids at the time. Brianna, who was only a year old, no, she was less than that, six months, or maybe four months old, as old as GBF. Here was her, the desire of our heart for Brianna that year was to learn to walk. Brianna, are you here? Oh, there you are. See, God answered that prayer. Carissa! <laughs> Carissa, who was like two years old, answer with, yes, mommy, yes, daddy. That was the desire of our heart. And she's mastered that one. And for Carissa, to talk in complete sentences. She's doing pretty good on that one. To, to say her pleases and thank yous. Bedtime regularly at 7.30. Learn to swim. Join cubbies. Memorize Ephesians 6.1, my favorite verse in the Bible. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. <laughs> I love that verse. But anyway, um, other desires. Oh, look, at this was comical. This was reviewing the year of what happened. Um, and this was a desire that was fulfilled in March. Cliff retired from coaching basketball. That's a joke. That was 11 years ago. I've been coaching every year since then, so I don't know what happened. It was supposed to be an answer to prayer. Cliff retired from coaching. Um, that didn't last. Um, oh, some other goals. Debbie had to do daily devotions no matter how small or short. To not be anxious. To make more friends. This was huge because we, tr- we traveled and moved so much. We've lived in, I don't know, 17 different homes since we've been married, three different states at four different times, several different churches. Uh, you just start to develop and cultivate friendships, and then you uproot and move. And it was very hard for her as a woman to uh, cultivate friendships because every time we did, her husband was leaving town. Anyway, but God has answered that prayer too and given her some wonderful friends. Um, some prayer desires I wrote down. Pray for unsaved family regularly. See one family member get saved Write an article for this, the journal, uh, seminary journal. That happened eight years later. It didn't happen that year. So anyway, that's just kind of fun. And we made it a family practice. It's, it's a wonderful thing for your marriage, if you're married, for you and your spouse to sit down and just think about every area of your life, be very specific about it, and put it at the feet of God. It's awesome. And then you look back over the year and see what he's done in your life. You don't have to be married either. If you're single, you should be doing this. 
Because you're living life with purpose and every area of your life you're entrusting it to God. He's going to do great things. Then number six on your handout there, evaluate your ongoing desires. As you're praying about these things, you're searching the Scriptures, you're living life, you're going through the trials of life, and you know hindsight is twenty twenty. they say. Many times you can discover the will of God just by looking back. Oh, that was the will of God. I didn't know that at the time. Oh, that's what God wanted. So we need to continually take these goals and desires and subject them to God to have Him scrutinize them and fine-tune them and change them and remove them and create new ones um, as He cares for us. So evaluate your ongoing desires. And some, some of them we really want to hold on to. Oh, God, but I really want this. I really want to go there. I really want to have this. I really want to be with such and such a person. And you don't want to let go sometimes. But if it's God's will, then you better let Him pull your fingers so that you can let go. By the way, this is not, I'm not talking about name it and claim it theology, you know, prosperity and God wants you healthy, wealthy, and rich all the time. That, that is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about praying in accordance with God's will. By the way, when you pray, the object is, of prayer is not to change God's mind, is it? God has his mind made up already. He knows everything. He's totally sovereign. He has a plan. He told us how it's going to end in the book of Revelation. We don't pray to change God's mind. First and foremost, we pray to worship God. We pray to have fellowship with God. We pray to communicate with God. And we also pray to God so that He will change our heart. It's subjecting ourselves to His sovereignty. That's what prayer does. So we're subjecting ourselves to God so that He might change us and change our mind and change our desires. So we're not changing God. We're not manipulating Him. We're not the master marionette getting whatever we want when we ask it of God. So this is not name it and claim it theology. This is just taking the promises of God at face value, trying to live them in life. So then as you go back and you reflect, as I have done, just by way of example, um, and you can look back and see what great things God has done. God has planted Grace Bible Fellowship. That, that's a miracle. I can't believe it. It is awesome. It's been a blessing. Uh, that's number seven. Thank God for honoring your desires. Thank Him. Give thanks. In everything, give thanks, because this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. These wonderful promises. We read in Ephesians 3.20 that God is ready to do above and beyond all that we can ask or think or even imagine according to the power that works through who? Through us. Awesome things we should be happening and being fulfilled in our lives and all the more God deserves the glory for it by way of thanksgiving. God planted a church for the longest time. I wanted to write a book. I just thought it was an impossible task. No, I'll never do it. And then God over time honored that desire. He allowed me to do that. That was one of my goals in life. And I wanted to write a book to help Christians grow because I'm primarily driven by so many relatives I have who are not Christians. Basic Christianity. Something I can put in their hands. And I've been able to do that. Relatives who don't know God calling me as recently as this week on the phone. Oh, I heard you wrote a book, Cliff. Hey, can you send it to me? I want to read it. I'm like, thanks, okay. Because they might be offended because they're not going to agree with it. But anyway, praise the Lord. God can use it as a tool. So those are just some examples. But anyway, it's uh, awesome. So Christians can have New Year's resolutions. Actually, they're lifelong resolutions, aren't they? Actually, they're lifelong prayer requests consistent with the desires of our heart as long as they are consistent with the will of God. So I would just encourage you to, to pray that way, uh, think that way. I've interviewed 10 young people from this church over the last couple of months several of them this week, and I was amazed at their answers. They did awesome. It was like an oral theological exam. I'm just grilling them with like 52 questions. Their parents are crying on their behalf. McManus, relent, stop, knock it off. Uh, but the children, they were doing wonderful, gave fantastic answers, and it exposed their deep, true understanding of who Christ is. 
And one question I always ask anybody that's about to get baptized is, if you're going to get baptized, that means you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, that means the Holy Spirit is living in you. If the Holy Spirit is living in you, then He is working you and changing you. So my question to you is, how is God working in your life now? How is Jesus evidently working in your life? What is He doing? And one of these young people, first thing they said was, well, God is helping me sort out the desires of my heart so I know what the will of God is. I was like, whoa! That was the most profound answer. That was awesome. But that's very mature spiritual thinking. And that is how a young person, whether you're in elementary, junior high, or high school, that's how you should be thinking about your life. It's, it's before you the rest of your life. And as a young person, you call yourself a Christian, you submit your life, your future, everything to Him. To please Him in all that you do. And you know what? God is going to give you a fulfilling life and He's going to honor that desire of your heart. Well, with that, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank You for our time together. We thank You again for the privilege to worship You. Thank You for Your Word. God, thank You for these scriptures we were able to read that are so crystal clear. Your promises are sometimes too good to be true or believe, God. Um, but You're clear about what You mean with respect to these promises. So God, I just pray that every person who's a part of Grace Bible Fellowship that knows you personally would be very clear about examining the desires of their own heart, that I'd be clear about the, examining the desires of my heart, that we would lay those at your feet, pray about those, and see you move in exciting ways in our life. We thank you for that great promise. We commit it to you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.